this is a new thing that we haven't seen before and where we are all curious how this will yeah, end up, so to say. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season four of Talking the Cure, Hogan Lovell's Life Sciences and Healthcare podcast. With our first episode this year, we are going to cover a topic which will, as I assume, be covered on a lot of conferences and other platforms. I was able to convince Nicole Zorin on her first day of a well-deserved vacation and Arne Thiemann on his first day back at the office to talk to me about artificial intelligence and the medical device industry. Hi both, thanks for joining me. Before we dive in, could you please introduce yourselves, since it's well known that I'm not really capable of introducing my guests the way they should be introduced. So, Nicole, could you kick us off? Sure. My name is Nicole Sarin, and I'm a counsel in the Munich product liability team. I'm with uh, the team for 10 years now and mostly advise clients from the life sciences sector. Hi, Julius. Hi, Nicole. Good to hear you and good to see you. Uh, my name is Arne. I'm a partner in the Hamburg office of Hogan Lovells, and we help clients in their daily operations in the life sciences industry. And obviously, artificial intelligence is playing an increasingly bigger role in, in all sorts of areas that they do. So really looking forward to talking to you in the next 20 minutes. 20 minutes is pretty positive, I would assume. <laughs> we have a pretty packed agenda today. I'll make it. <laughs> <laughs> to set us a baseline, what relevance does AI currently have in the medical device industry? Sure. So with accelerating the digitalization all around, it's also very important for the medical device industry. And AI insofar acquires an increasingly significant role It means um, that these AI products will be used in different uh, kind of ways, in particular when it comes to diagnosis. This uh, will much improve the way we will see the health sector develop. And insofar, there are also other areas like radiology evaluation and also the personalization of medicinal products. And the idea of a device or AI making decisions on like um, the lifetime of prosthesis uh, patients have implanted could also be a big change that would help patients and increase their well-being importantly. So there are a lot of things that can and will change due to AI devices that we will see coming on the market in the next years. Another thing that is an interesting development and that will um, increase also might be the mobile medical treatment um, where also AI and importantly the evaluation of the data um, behind it will change uh, the landscape. Um, yeah, and you mentioned a very interesting aspect that the use of AI creates opportunities between tech companies and life sciences companies in a very broader sense to cooperate and to put together technology and data. And we already see corporations between pharma companies and tech companies to evaluate clinical trial data, but also we see a lot of tech companies going into the area of life sciences. And that's a particularly interesting field because it's a new area for, for these tech companies and they step into an area which provides also for a complex set of regulatory requirements and also creates entirely new liability risk uh, that we will talk about later. 
In terms of artificial intelligence in the field of life sciences and healthcare, the AIA proposal is mentioned a lot and worked on a lot and discussed a lot. Could you give a quick update on the current status of it? So it was the French presidency who in June 2020 circulated the final proposed text. And now the Czech presidency took over. Um, insofar, we've seen in December the latest adoption of the council then, which means they provided a general approach paper where they changed a lot of the provisions that the initial European Commission draft proposal dating back to April 2021 included. There are a lot of changes. We can summarize some of the most important ones here, which means that they in particular try to adapt the definition of AI, who was very broad at the beginning. They now want to make it easier to distinguish AI from simple software systems. They also try to adjust the classification and the requirements for high-risk AI systems, where they try to use and to take into account the complex value chains, uh, which will and might be related to these high-risk AI systems, and also trying to allocate and clarify the responsibilities of the specific operators and actors along these value chains, and to also kind of clarify how the AI um, act will interact with the existing regulatory landscape and also the data protection laws um, at hand, because this was in the beginning not very clear, and this is what the, the council now tried to adapt. So this is not the end now. Um, we also have the European Parliament and the council, and we are now looking forward that these both will, and the European Commission will start the trilogue dialogues, um, and we are kind of thinking and looking forward to have a final document um, maybe in 2025. Let's stay positive there that we <laughs> to reach that point. You already mentioned, uh, thanks for the status update, regulatory. I think we are going to dissect it a bit, but how is AI currently regulated in the field of medical devices, Arne? Yeah, that's a very complex answer to, to that question, to a quite simple question. Essentially, we are looking at a like like a puzzle that the European Commission is currently trying to, to solve um, because there are different puzzle pieces, uh, so to say. We do have some pieces already existing, like the MDR, the IVDR, some pieces in the process of being created, established, like the AI Act that, that Nicole, that you just mentioned. But there's also, for instance, the European Health Data Space puzzle piece to it. And this is all in, in the moment being sorted out, how this will fit together, because there's, so to say, no single regulation or directive addressing AI medical device software, but rather a set of different pieces and not to forget the GDPR as well. When we look at the existing, let's say, puzzle pieces, there is not so much looking into the MDR, even though it's not that old. And even in the process of being implemented, there are relatively nice language on software and learning software in particular. There is the general rule that AI can be or would be a standalone software medical device. It has to follow the, the rules that apply to software medical devices when it fulfills the definition of a medical device. 
um, it has to undergo a conformity assessment according to the MDR or IVDR requirements. It can be generally a medical device in itself, but it could also be an accessory uh, for a medical device, depending on the intended purpose. Generally, it can be said there is, let's say, the broad field of decision support software, which plays an important role for HTPs, but also software for monitoring physiological processes, also measurable software that, that treats patients. Let's try to group this a little bit into the level and let's say complexity of the software that is being used. And generally it can be grouped into you know, static or locked artificial intelligence. So that means it has learned and operates in a, in a static and locked state, which leads to reliable and validated results. And this is in full compliance with yeah, the general principles of the MDR and IVDR. The more interesting it gets if you have dynamic artificial intelligence that continues to learn. And there we have an immediate tension with the principles of the MDR and IVDR, because the, the general idea is that software devices are designed to ensure repeatability and reliability. And the moment where you get different results, this is already, or this is not, not insured anymore. It's, it's a little bit like if you have a young doctor and you ask him at the beginning of his job, how would you diagnose or how would you interpret this MRT scan? He, he will probably give a different answer like five years down the road where he has gathered a lot of experience. And this is the same with dynamic or learning artificial intelligence. And that, that's in the end also the sense of it, because you, you, as you want to have a doctor that learns, <laughs> you want to have AI that improve its capabilities. But at the moment, the MDR does not foresee how to cope with that. It gets even more difficult if you have so-called black box AI, where you don't know how a certain software algorithm comes to a, a specific uh, result. This is already a problem when it comes to locked AI. So even a software which would, so to say, come to the same results every time you input the same data. As long as you don't see how it gets to this data, this creates yeah, safety concerns, but also uh, validation concerns. And it gets even more uh, difficult when you have a black box AI that learns. And we will probably come to a point where such black box AI, where you don't know how it gets there, will also under future regime not be certifiable, which to me makes sense also from a patient perspective, that there should not be a device where you don't know how it gets to a certain result. And so we would rather be looking to have a set of rules that applies to um, dynamic AI where you can allow a certain development of the expertise of the AI. It, it should not be a black box. So as always, people came together and say, hey, let's move this forward. Let's not overcomplicate it. And it didn't work <laughs> in terms of regulations. And in addition to the MDR, IVDR, with AIA, there's the classification in terms of AIA. And in addition to that, what is the relationship between the AIA and the MDR? Yeah, that's a good question. 
And maybe to start with one of the most heard misconceptions, there is no idea of the European legislator to create or duplicate conformity assessment. It's widely heard that the AI Act would like create a requirement to undergo a second conformity assessment for software, but this is actually not true. The European legislator is is really busy in creating tons of documents, but it doesn't. In in this respect, he's not creating additional conformity assessment requirements. So the idea is essentially that if you undergo the MDR conformity assessment as part of it certain requirements of the AI Act would need to be observed and included in the conformity assessment. And there would also not be two notified bodies. So it, it's not true if it's somewhere said that you need to go to two notified bodies. So essentially the idea would be that the notified body that also accompanies the conformity assessment for the medical device process is also certified under the AI Act and then can take care and certify under the AI Act the specific requirements, which then are integral part of the conformity assessment. So let's say the AI Act creates certain additional requirements that come on top of the MDR conformity assessment. We potentially have to record another episode just focusing on that. Yeah, and clearly these requirements, if you look into them, they also create problems in itself. For instance, they require, if you're using data sets, that they are more or less error free, which if you ask a software developer, it's almost impossible that you have data sets that are error free. So there are a couple of aspects in the requirements of the AI Act that still cause a lot of headache to manufacturers that actually have to comply with it. And, and I'm not, uh, let's say, not mitigating or let's say I'm not trying to play down the hurdles that are set by that, but that, let's say in general, the concept of the European Commission makes sense and to create something like an integrated approach or for the conformity assessment. This is a question I didn't send you in advance, but do you feel like that these developments and the regulations that already exist are going to slow down the manufacturers to come up with new products or to come up with new products, but the whole way into the market is so complicated that people maybe step back from projects like this? Probably, yes. Let's say the flow of innovation and of ideas is certainly leveled down and more, much more under control in Europe than it is in other parts of the world. On the one hand, you can say that slows down innovation. On the other hand, it's also a deliberate decision not to go a route where you create risk for, mm. for patients. And it comes, yeah, always safety comes with, with some some costs. So hopefully the, the, the whole process of the regulation in, in this respect is under, yeah, under scrutiny. And so that we lose a little bit of the complexity because on the other hand, that's certainly also true that the set of rules that, that currently is under development and that the European Commission is creating yeah, just creates a lot of administrative work and efforts for manufacturers to develop a product. And we hear this from, from medical device manufacturers, but um, even more 
you know, for a software company which has no experience in the field of medical devices, this is much, much more than they would usually apply for software development. Mm. Okay. So, Nicole, in terms of liability, what laws apply to the liability of medical AI products? And as an additional question, who is liable if the AI application makes the wrong decision and takes over the world? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so at the time being, the MDR and the IVDR do not uh, provide for liability rules, uh, which means that we have to uh, take into account the general laws that apply, which is, uh, for Europe uh, at least, the Product Liability um, Directive dating back to 1985 and the German Product Liability Act, um, which is the implementation act of these directive, as well as the general national laws, for example, uh, the provisions on tort liability of the German civil code, which means this is different in each country as far as it comes to the uh, general national law uh, provisions. And we only have the product liability um, directive, which is, as I said, really old and not kind of fits uh, the purpose anymore to deal with uh, such new technologies as um, artificial intelligence. And this is why there have been some revisions ongoing over the last years. So every five and 10 years, the European Commission and other stakeholders are looking at these directives and have checked it. And now, for the first time of this kind of set of revisions that have been taking place in the last quarter of 2020, new proposals have been given out by the European Commission. And this is, on the one hand, a new proposal for a revised uh, product liability directive. And it was, and this is really special, accompanied by a new directive which would target the harmonization of the national liability rules for artificial intelligence um, products and systems. So the question is why this comes together. So the idea behind it is that the European Commission wanted to rule everything with regard to artificial intelligence when it, it comes to this specific products, not only the strict liability, which the product liability directives scope is, but also the tort laws of the national company at national member states that also the fault-based claims will be now harmonized, or at least this is the idea of the European Commission, and they wanted to do this together to have a whole set, a combined set, and, and to promote trust in artificial intelligence systems and to ensure that uh, victims are effectively compensated um, if damages occur in this regard. So, and with regard to the AI proposal, These liability rules are considered to be two sides of the same coin. So this is also kind of the idea to have an overall legal systematic to deal with artificial intelligence systems. And when it comes to the ones who can be or would potentially be held liable for an artificial intelligence system. So there were ideas um, that uh, the European uh, Parliament uh, introduced to create a specific person of its own, like the AI system itself, to be held uh, liable. But this was kind of an idea that was only theoretical and then overruled by <laughs> the pragmatic ideas and the, the, the way as we generally see it, that um, liability uh, should follow the responsibility of a specific person 
person behind it. And this is why we can say that it will generally use the terms and regulations and the ideas behind that have always been established and, and what also the product liability directive is based upon so that it's mostly the producer of the product, but also, and these are uh, different stakeholders that come now into play, the programmer of the intelligent uh, software, so the developer can be held liable, the provider of the AI-based product, the one who is uh, distributing or selling it, the operator, the one who uses the product, and like the, the physician who is um, using it, and this will be the, the, the whole setup. And each of them can be held liable upon their their task and their involvement of the in the life cycle of the AI system and how they make use of it and how they benefit of it. So this is like the idea behind the whole systematic, the, the responsibility still shall follow the general rules, the, the one who is able to adapt it, who is uh, controlling it as far as this is possible, or who is benefiting from the product shall be the one uh, responsible in the end when a damage occurs. Yeah, that's that's interesting. The first question that came to my mind in that terms is when I'm a developer or I'm just supply manufacturer with the software behind the product, why should I do that when I'm in danger of being liable for any mistakes in regards of patients? So uh, I think that is a super interesting question. I'm really keen to learn more as it's moving forward, how they make the decision. I think we covered something similar in terms of developing pharma products, where they're, where they're discussing, okay, who is actually liable when it comes down to clinical studies and if they fail or not. I, I think that's, the me personally, one of the main, and sorry, Arne, <laughs> one of the most interesting questions in terms of AI in the field of life sciences and healthcare and who's liable. Anyhow, sorry. What liability changes can be identified with respect to AI? Are EA applications more susceptible to litigation? It kind of depends. So the point is that there are some difficulties that come with uh, new technologies that that have to be now uh, tackled by these and, and, and needs to be tackled by the new proposals. And in some kind of way, these uh, do a kind of a good job. One of the most important questions and um, issues, in particular, the European Commission sees is the question of the burden of proof. Because so far, the idea is that the one who is claiming the damage and and wants compensation and needs to prove everything. The one needs to prove that there was a faulty product, that um, he was harmed by this product. And so it, the burden of proof lies fully on the patient. In our cases, mostly when we think about the life sciences uh, sector. So this is something that can be really hard to do. And this is why um, the idea was to tackle this question and to include specific ways and procedural ways to adapt it. And the proposals now kind of in a similar way introduce two systematics in this regard. So on the one hand, they include a systematic that the manufacturer or the specific other defendant, as I said, it can be other persons be held responsible, need to disclose evidence in a specific way under specific conditions that the claimant then can use to substantiate their claims. In another way, and there is a systematic included 
for rebuttable presumptions. And this in particular deals with the defectiveness of the product or the defectiveness of the AI system and also the specific point of uh, causality, because this is mostly the most crucial and most hardest point to prove that a product, and in particular when we think about an AI system and its output, or if there had to be an output and this was not there, how the claimant can prove that this was really the cause for his harm that he is now claiming compensation for. And um, there are lots of uh, questions to, to, to be decided, and it's I think this is not the final regulation that we see there, but it's a way, an idea that the European Commission is, is trying to tackle in particular this specific problem that we see that it's really hard and it's getting harder with complex technologies for, for claimants to be in the position to actually bring a, a substantiative claim. What industry-specific concerns does the AIA proposal leave unaddressed and what criticism does the AIA proposal face? Yeah, if you look into the set of responses that was received in terms of the AI Act draft, you will see, this helped me, almost 300 responses from across the industries and not only life sciences, obviously, but really across industries because, and to set the frame again here, the AI Act is industry agnostic, so to say, because it applies to all kinds of AI, whether it's used in a consumer product or in a healthcare or life sciences context. And so you will see a lot of aspects that are raised there. One of them is probably a theme is the complexity that it creates, especially in terms of yeah, its relation of the AI Act, of the MDR, IVDR and other regulations. And we, we touched upon that aspect before we are talking at the moment about the European health data space, but at the same time, there is also the GDPR, there's a proposed data governance act, there's a proposed draft data act, there's a network and information systems directive. So the question is really how all these different sets interplay with each other. Some of them having a horizontal approach, meaning they are industry agnostic, they apply to all industries, and some of them really tailored to certain industries like the NDR, like the European health data space. And the interplay between all these rules will, will be an important aspect and how they relate to each other. You might say the European health data space, for instance, is creating like the governance or ecosystem a single market for European health data, which sets the rules in a basic way how primary and secondary use of data in the health data space shall be possible. And this data then can be used as part of the medical device development. Um, so it can play a role um, in the conformity assessment of a medical device but it can also play a role when it comes to artificial intelligence. So there are interfaces with all of these set of rules, and it will be interesting to see what opportunities this creates. And hopefully it creates opportunities and not only uh, obstacles uh, in observing all these uh, different set of rules. So the general idea is really to create a single market of European health data that enables also manufacturers to use distinct sets 
of data for the development of medical devices of artificial intelligence, which sounds innovative and shall foster innovation. At the same time, it also raises some concerns, of course, because if you have a set of data, this is some form of value and one manufacturer will have invested a lot of money to create a set of data that it has. And the European health data space creates uh, certain mechanisms to access existing data sets, which is good for competitors, but obviously this creates tension between the one holding certain data sets and the other one that that wants to access it. And here we, we get into a field of intellectual property of trade secrets and to what extent is it then actually desirable that a competitor can access data of another company. So there will be the need to balance the interests of the players in the market and and time will show how this works out. But the general idea is to create more access and to create more flow of data so that, that silos are broken out or that there can be more benefit to patients because, I mean, every one of us will know that that's one of the biggest problems in healthcare, that there are silos of data existing everywhere. There's no easy flow of data and you will experience that if you go to your one doctor, you will not not have any idea of what another doctor might have on data with respect to, to, to your health history. And so this is just duplicated and duplicated and and there's no interface and the the idea really is to break silos so the idea is intriguing and fascinating let's see how the implementation is going to work but that presents an option of like principles of open source similar to what google did with android for example Yeah, Yeah, absolutely there's a term that is uh, often heard like the monetization of data which already in itself gives a little bit of a negative aspect to it because it means like that, yeah, how to make money out of data because it's much more. It's, it's more like to actually make full use of the existing data, which can include certain monetization, but clearly it touches upon who owns the data. And then we, we get to the, to the existing problem that other than with respect to, for instance, classical intellectual property rights, rights like patents and trademarks, there is no right of ownership with respect to data. So the problem already starts with who owns the data? Is it the patient? Is it the doctor, the hospital? Is it um, the company that manufactures a certain device which is creating or generating the data? They all say we, we have an interest in getting this data, but can you really say one of them owns the data and we, we really come to very basic questions in, in terms of ownership of data. So Nicole, to close this out, in which way aims the EU legislator to address current liability changes? I think I, I already touched upon one important part, the introduction of this new systematics with regard to the, the presumption and the evidence that that shall be made available by the manufacturer or the defendants um, in specific situations or under specific 
conditions. And another idea that the European Commission included is that they make the scopes broader. So the product liability directive is broadened insofar that the placing on the market, so the specific date and time that the product liability directive, the current one, is taking into account will be extended so that also AI products that adapt or software updates that um, have to be uploaded will fall under the scope of the product liability directive, the new one, to include the, um, the, the complex new products and to adapt these rules to the digital age. And another thing that is included there is that also the, the damages um, will be extended that can be claimed or for which uh, compensation can be claimed. And insofar, in particular, the AI fault-based proposal goes very, very far because it would not only, as the current product liability directive, include health and life and property, but also privacy. And this is kind of really, really broad. And this is where we really looking forward to what, what is the idea behind this, because this is like Anne said, does not really make sense when you look at this uh, regulation from a liability perspective, because there are other regulations and other frameworks that deal with these this aspects. But now they, they try to include everything. And this is where, where it will be really interesting to hear what the European Commission thoughts were in this regard and what uh, comments will now be included uh, from stakeholders uh, from the industry um, and others. This is a new thing that we haven't seen before and where we are all curious uh, how this will yeah, end up, so to say. I think it's definitely worth maybe just focusing on the data privacy aspect, another episode um, of this topic. So, I think I covered all the questions we had. Do you have anything else you would like to address, which we haven't covered yet? Something that came through your minds during our conversation? There are so many aspects that you could go much, much deeper. And uh, yeah, it will be very interesting what 2023 will bring in terms of the ongoing discussions. We, we really hope to be part of these discussions and yeah, stay tuned on the Hogan Lovells channels to, to see updates in this respect. And I'm sure there will be intense uh, discussions around all the topics that Nicole mentioned, that uh, I mentioned and uh, you, you uh, Julius. So it will be exciting to see. And if you have additional questions, obviously our inboxes are open. So just send us an email and we are happy to give you an answer or you give us an inspiration to set up a new episode to talk about or cover your specific questions. So that's it for today. If you have further questions for Nicole and Arne, their CVs and contacts are in the show notes, plus additional information where you can follow us on which social platforms so you can get updates on life sciences and healthcare on a regular basis. Thank you for joining us. Arne and Nicole, thank you for taking the time. Arne, welcome back, Nicole. Have a great vacation. And we're here in a couple of weeks with a new topic. We are keeping you posted. Thank you very much for joining me today.